If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. Today on the podcast, I've got Lisa. Lisa is one of those rare but very lucky women who managed to get pregnant first time IUI. She now has a beautiful three-year-old called Luca, and I'd love you to get to know her and how she found early days of motherhood. Hi, Lisa. So excited for you to join us today. Um, so I guess to start out, it would be really great to learn a little bit more about you and your journey of why you decided to become a solo mum by choice. Um, yep. Yeah. So thanks for having me. I'm really excited um, to be here. So um, I, I'm i 42 now. I um, have a three-year-old little boy, just turned three. Um, so I actually started looking into freezing my eggs, actually, <laughs> um, when I was about 37. I heard a, an ad on the radio, <laughs> um, a really offensive ad, actually, but caught my attention. About, it worked then. Um, <laughs> It was like a, they were having a cocktail party, like a cocktail event where you got a free cocktail and presenting, um, you know, these options for career women who wanted to, um, you know, have more options and, and freeze their eggs. And anyway, I kind of found it offensive but also was intrigued <laughs> <laughs> and went for my free cocktail. Um, yeah, just had poor dating luck through my 30s and wanted to have that assurance I guess that I could still be a mum at some point and not miss out on that so yeah I started looking into that and um yeah when I went to the fertility specialist um so I went to that seminar thing and then actually went away for about a year and thought about it I think I might have been 36 at the time and then by the time I was 37 I actually made the appointment yeah went and to get all the tests and everything to see how I was going thinking I still had heaps of time um and, yeah, when I went in to see the doctor to get the test, she's like, sure, I can do the test and freeze your eggs, but, you know, you're 37. Like, when do you think you want to have a baby? Do you want to have one before 40 or after 40? And I was like, I don't know. I just want to freeze my eggs. <laughs> 40 seems like ages um, away. I don't I want to think about that. She's like, so think about it. Like, how long do you want to freeze your eggs for? Like, you're going to be pregnant for, like, nearly a year. It might take you a year or two to actually fall pregnant. And I was like, oh, my God. And I walked out of the room going, 
like there's no way like I'm not ready to have a baby I just wanted to freeze my eggs and like give myself a bit more time and yeah went away like again being really offended <laughs> but then <laughs> talked to some friends about it like told them this experience and they're like why don't you have a baby now you'd be great and I'm like no no I'm not ready yet <laughs> and about six months later I was back in the doctor's office going, okay, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> so there's just like some snap moment where you're like, actually, yeah, this is what I should be doing. I thought about what she said and actually she was right. Like I, I know a lots of people have babies over 40, but for me I, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to have one before 40. Um, and so the more I thought about what she said, like she was probably a bit abrupt from the way she said it, um, but she was kind of right, I think, for me in my situation. So I was like, what the hell, let's just try. (laughs) So, yeah, so that was what led me to start the process, I guess. And so what clinic did you go through in order to to conceive, Luca? Um, So that was Melbourne IVF. (laughs) I don't don't know whether I should say that because I um, didn't love the ad that they put up on or the other event that they did, but, you know, it got me in, so... Um, and I just felt, I don't know, some felt a weird affiliation to them. I don't know why. Um, but their office, their like clinic, main head office clinic thing is in East Melbourne. It was really close to my work, which is on the east side of the city. So it was really easy for me to get there for appointments and things. I think going into um, it, you don't realise how often you're going to have to be in that building, do you? So location is actually yeah. really important and convenient. Yeah. Well, and then the specialist that I saw was, yeah, like across the road. So um yeah honestly I didn't really do that much research I just heard that ad went to their event and then told them I wanted to freeze my eggs so they recommended a fertility specialist for that and that was the one they gave me like I did not look into anything (laughs) I didn't really research it I just went with it um I've always been someone who's quite intuitive and like goes with my gut so it just kind of felt right so I just went with it um and I later learned that lots of people do lots and lots of research on that stuff and the doctors and specialists and um, anyway. That was works. my journey. So if you do research or not, really. Yeah. <laughs> and so then you started down the process of trying to conceive when that was still with Melbourne IVF, was it? And how did that go? What process did you have to go through from that? Um, so, yeah, oh, I did all my tests after that first appointment Um and everything came back really positive. Like the doctor seemed to think I'd have, wouldn't probably have any issues. There was nothing glaringly obvious in the test results that should indicate that I'd have any issues. Um, so I was about to start and then I decided to go and have my wisdom teeth out. <laughs> <laughs> so that put me off a few months. Um, and, yeah, I went in and I always had this mindset of, like I said, did no research, just went along and sort of followed the process, sort of was led down the journey. Um, And I went, okay, what the hell, let's just give it a go. Um, And I actually fell pregnant on my first IUI. Oh, wow. (laughs) Um, And was so shocked and really mentally unprepared (laughs) for what that meant. Um, I think I didn't let myself get my hopes up because um, I didn't know if it was going to work. I just wanted to give it a try and see what would happen at least I'd, I I just had this approach that I would um yeah give myself the best opportunity and if it was meant to be it would happen yeah and I guess it was meant to be because <laughs> that worked first time and then I was like oh my gosh now I'm pregnant um 
That's great because yeah. it's going to give hope so, to so many other people that are thinking about this journey going, it genuinely can happen first go. Some people have a really long, drawn-out journey, but there are quite a few that are first-time lucky like you. When you talk to a lot of people within the community, you do feel a bit of guilt sometimes because I know so many people, like, tried so many um, rounds and spent so much money and um, I was so, so fortunate in that way. The same thing sort of came about in terms of choosing a donor. I don't know if you want to ask I was going to go straight to that. So. <laughs> um, so in those few months I had decided to go ahead but was sort of waiting. Um, I had my wisdom teeth out, so I was just sort of waiting to recover from that. And I had been given the access to the database through Melbourne IBF of the local donors in Australia um, and Firstly, I was shocked at how few people were on there. <laughs> um, although I'd heard through the couple of seminars that I'd been to that actually a couple of years before that there were waiting lists and you would get mailed um, profiles in the mail and you had 24 hours to decide if you wanted it and then it would go to the next person. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, oh, lucky you didn't have that. <laughs> also grateful that I had this online database I could go on and search and but there was literally 12 people on there. Yeah. Um, and I eliminated some. I wanted, obviously, to try and select the same, like, colourings and um, and background as me mm-hmm. as much as I could. So that eliminated about half the list of, like, yeah. different nationalities and stuff. Um, and then I – so I have – I don't have brown eyes. You probably can't tell on here. But um, I have blue eyes and I – desperately wanted someone with blue eyes to give myself the best chance of having a baby with blue eyes because I all my family have brown eyes and I'm the only one with blue right um it's like I know if I pick someone with brown eyes the baby will have brown eyes it was just a weird thing I had so of course there was no one on there with blue eyes (laughs) um anyway I just I knew I had a few months so I think they give you access to the database for two months and then you're supposed to pick um and I, I think I was about four or five months away from when I wanted to actually start. So I had to keep asking them to reopen the database for me and hoping there was more people on there. Um, so that's quite different yeah. from the clinic I went through. Does that mean you've just got a portal and you log in and then you can see them all and all the information yeah, comes so up? There's a, a, a brief database of, like, nationality, I think, um, and, um, like, eye colour, hair colour, in colour I think or something like a few little things yeah. and you click on the profile and it's actually just a scanned in handwritten profile oh wow okay um, yeah so I think it's evolving <laughs> like it's been evolving at the time that I did it I know it evolved a lot over the previous five years so I imagine by now it's evolved a lot more I got emailed I got a I got an A4 piece of paper that had all of them listed and then I shortlisted and then got sent oh, yeah. the extended profiles for each of them by email but yeah no online database yeah, that I could right. access anyway but every clinic yeah. is so different so it's so great different. for people yeah. to understand what again like I did was. no research and had no idea <laughs> so I just went with it um anyway so yeah I was literally looking at about two or three options each time I went on there and just not feeling like any of them were right and I was on this um, online forum of like solo mums by choice yeah. and asking asking on there like how do people pick and they were, some were like, oh, I didn't even care, it's, you know, <laughs> um, it's just whichever one works kind of thing and others were like had these elaborate processes they went through and um, anyway I decided to not focus on that and just focus on what felt right for me. So 
I knew like I wanted to start in April, so um, I had to pick, I think, the month before or something. Um, so it was literally that the night before I had to choose and I went to bed and I was like, there's just no one on there that really feels 100% right. But in the morning, I'm just going to get up. I'm going to pick whichever one looks the best. Um, you know, it might not be 100%, but whichever's the best option, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And I got up the next morning and there was a new profile on there <gasps> who only had one allocation available. Yeah. Um, blue eyes brown hair, <laughs> fair skin, exactly like me, um, and of European descent as well, which is what I am, um, only two years different in age to me. So that yeah. was my other thing was there was a lot of the world a lot older than me. Um, and I was like, oh, my gosh, it's <laughs> just like exactly what I wanted. So just snapped it up. It had literally come on that morning, I think. It's just meant to be um, where the sounds, wow. I think so, yeah. And then I ended up falling pregnant the first time, so I just – definitely felt like it had meant to be so I still don't know to this day it's very unusual to have someone on there with one allocation available they normally have it which means how many families can use that donor um normally I think there's three to five so yeah I think there's a maximum Victoria and pulled out and then um it had become available or I don't know it was really bizarre but again felt like it was meant to be so um and He's got blue eyes. So <laughs> it was the first thing I looked at when he when he came out of me. I was like, Does he have blue colour? <laughs> um, yeah, so um yeah, again, yeah, just follow my gut with a lot of all of this and it's kind of worked out. <laughs> just sounds like it's absolutely meant to be. And so how did you find pregnancy? Did you go private or public and was it pretty low easy pregnancy um, so or was went- it any tough bits? So I went um, public because partly because I lived really close to the um, Royal Women's Hospital in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my local anyway, just public hospital. Um, and also I just didn't really have the funds. I didn't really, uh, yeah, didn't have a heap of savings. So I didn't want to spend five to $10,000 on obstetrician and public uh, private um you know, knowing I still had to support myself through a year of maternity leave and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I went public, which honestly, if I did it again, I think I'd go private because I didn't have a bad experience. But again, I didn't really know it was the first time I'd been through it and not comparing now to what some friends have been through with private. I think I would like the more personalised service of private um, service. So I you know, never really saw the same obstetrician or midwife or anything in any of my appointments um, and, yeah, was in the public hospital after he was born, which I know just has a few things different to the private <laughs> floors upstairs. Um, my pregnancy was pretty horrendous, actually. I was oh, no. sick every single day (laughs) actually my first 12 weeks I was not sick which is really weird normally it's the other way around so I wasn't throwing up or anything the first I was a bit nauseous but almost as soon as I hit 12 weeks I just started throwing up every single day and didn't stop until he was born it's like reverse morning sickness you get it in the second just horrendous and so back then we didn't really work from home so I was traipsing into the city every day on the train or the tram with feeling just horrendous and I was so exhausted um so yeah I think 
I didn't help myself because I, well, feeling so sick, I just ate like things like crackers and barbecue shapes and yeah. <laughs> all of the carbs. I did, yeah. Um, I did have a um, period where I was craving salad sandwiches. <laughs> so that was probably good. Um, and fruit salad a few days. But other than that, was, my diet was pretty horrendous because it was just whatever I could stomach. Um, yeah. And I think that probably didn't help. Um, I think after he was born, I had, um, I was having some like what I now know are gallbladder attacks, but I, while I was having them while I was pregnant, I thought it was just part of the morning sickness. Yeah. Um, and then after he was born, I was still having them and I got investigated and realized I had some gallstones, which I'm sure came about because of the horrendous diet I had <laughs> during pregnancy. Um, yeah, so I just... I also got like a really bad cold while I was pregnant about halfway through and a really bad cough. And I, because everything softens and all your ligaments are soft and everything, I like um, sprained a rib or something. (laughs) (laughs) It was coughing. Um, I just feel like I just went through like all this horrendous, like, yeah, journey while I was pregnant and I could not wait for it to be over. Um, I, I did not take many photos while I was pregnant which a lot of people told me to do so because you'll regret it and now I do (laughs) Um, but I felt I just felt awful like I felt sick and I was already like a bit overweight when I got pregnant so then the mental part of putting on weight and knowing that was inevitable and yeah it was just a struggle for me so I've got I think two or three photos when I was pregnant one was on the day he was due. <laughs> um, yeah, so, and then, uh, he was due late January, so right in the middle of summer. It was oh, like wouldn't 40 help. degrees the week he was born. <laughs> Just like so hot and uncomfortable and, um, yeah. But oh, I will also say that um, after he was born, I've had an appreciation of my body that I've never had my whole life. Um, that I can't believe what a woman's body does to create a baby. Insane, it's insane, isn't just it? just incredible. And I've never, um, although I still don't, you know, there's things that I would like to improve about my body and whatever, but um, I never I felt so comfortable in my skin after he was born, which is weird because <laughs> it's probably the worst shape I've been in. Um, but it was just not about that at all. It was just like... Uh, uh, in awe of what created this amazing little life yeah and I did feel that through the pregnancy as well like the things that you feel and all the physical sensations and knowing like reading what you know what's happening in the development and stuff it's amazing and so he was a little bit late was he doesn't sound like he came on his due date with the did the birth and everything go well I think he was five days late or like yeah, something like that. Um, so he was due, I think, the 28th of Jan and he came on the 2nd of Feb. So, And so I had the um, most organised birth in the world, like it was in the middle of a pandemic and I ended up having a date um, of either C-section or induction. So what was it um, like having to sit at home by yourself waiting to go into labour? Did you have someone around to help get you to the hospital or were you just sitting there by yourself? Or Because that's what I've always thought of being solo mum. I was lucky I didn't have to worry about it, but if I just had to go into that, labor naturally you know what would that be like yeah it was it was quite daunting so 
Um, my parents were around a lot um, around that time that I was due. Um, so I, because I was due at the end of January, I actually finished work at Christmas time. So I had, well, just before Christmas, so I think I had five or six weeks at home <laughs> just oh. to sit around waiting. Which seems um, nice, but it could be really boring as well. Uh, yeah, it was, it was actually really good. Um, I was so exhausted. I just couldn't wait to finish work, couldn't handle the commute anymore. And um, I was glad to have that time just to decompress, I think, yeah. <laughs> after like having such a horrendous pregnancy. Um, but I also was terrified that he was going to come really super early um, because he was measuring a bit bigger on the big side. I had arranged with a friend to be my birth partner, so she was kind of on standby for me and I was just checking in with her every few days, I think. Um, but, yeah, I just had people messaging me, especially as I got closer to the date and then the date passed every day. <laughs> like, how's it going? Can you feel anything? Like, just nothing. And then actually the day my waters broke, um, so that week it was like I think in the high 30s or 40 degrees every day and the obstetrician had said to me just try going for a walk I'm like it's like 40 40 degrees but I tried to walk because I yeah just just wanted him to come out so I was waddling down the street like 40 (laughs) degrees and but I was like slower than a crawl I think um but yeah just sitting around waiting so I I really like the tennis I was sitting watching the Australian Open sitting on the couch trying to just be as gentle on myself as I could I prepared food for the freezer stash um and just rested as much as I could although I couldn't really sleep no (laughs) um yeah and so the day my waters broke my parents were actually at my house that whole day and they'd just gone home and I was sitting at my, at my kitchen table and I stood up and I went, oh, gosh, like literally just five minutes they'd gone and I called them and I said, come back. I want to <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, of course, you know, the hospital tells you not to bother coming in and um, until you're like basically the baby's coming out of you. <laughs> um, so I did, they took me to the hospital and just, we just got everything checked and they sent me home and just because I hadn't had any contractions or anything. So, um, yeah, they sent me home and I just waited and it was another 24 hours before contractions really started. Oh, wow. I was getting like little twinges and stuff. My mum stayed with me that night um, because we thought I'd go in, you know, start contracting, but nothing happened. So they, um, my friend then came that day and we were all just sitting around like waiting for this labour to start. It didn't start for another, yeah, till the next night late at about 11. So my friend, my birth partner was staying with me that night. Um, I was on the phone to the hospital every hour or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kept saying to me, don't bother coming in, you've got ages. But I was terrified <laughs> just of like didn't know I just wanted to be at the hospital yeah I can understand um, that and I think again that's something I'd probably do differently I'd probably try and go to some sort of birthing center so I'm really naturally not like tend towards natural health and um natural remedies and things and I really wanted to have as natural birth as possible although I wanted to have it at the hospital yeah um I was going to try and do it without any drugs and um you know, do like, um, what's it called, hypnobirthing and all that stuff. <laughs> and it just like went out the window, I think, just 
panic took over for me and I just um for me I think I find things really mentally challenging when I um can't see an end in sight so not knowing how long the labor would go for was really mentally challenging for me um and I think if I'd known if someone had been able to say to me okay it's going to be 12 hours so and then I could count down and like be prepared for that but I just not knowing it could be one hour or it could be another 24 hours like that I found that the hardest thing um and again I think if I went through it again now I would be totally different but I just wanted the pain to end (laughs) and didn't want to yeah didn't want to deal with it and I ended up getting my friend to take me to the hospital um at about 1 or 2 a.m I think um that next morning um and I was just screaming for an epidural (laughs) and the only doctor on that could give me an epidural was in in surgery I guess in a c-section or something yeah or in some sort of surgery and didn't come for five hours. <laughs> so I was just screaming for an epidural for five hours. <laughs> yeah, private seeming really nice right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. But once I got the epidural, it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm like, why did I not get this earlier? This is amazing. Oh, gosh. I, I mean, just watched um, baking shows, reality shows on TV for a few hours. Yeah. It was time to push. <laughs> well, because I'd been awake for 24 hours, as soon as I got the epidural, like I just fell asleep. When I was the last few hours of my labor, I was asleep. Nice. <laughs> and they sort of woke me up. Um, I'm like, we're ready. You're ready to push now. <laughs> um, but I couldn't feel anything, couldn't push. Um, so they, I think they do like ease up the epidural. Um, you know, half an hour before or whatever, but I found it really hard to push and they ended up giving me an episiotomy to get him out and the vacuum and stuff. Um, so, yeah, definitely not the birth I planned, but I guess probably most mums don't have the birth they planned because <laughs> it's impossible to plan. You don't know what's going to happen. It's just such a – and when you've never done it before, it's just such an – you just have no idea what to expect. No one can. And I just it, imagine yeah. haven't had a second one, but I imagine the second one will just be so different just because you've at least been through one, which might be totally different, but at least you have some idea. Of what Do you think there might be a second one in the future? Um, I don't think so. The only reason I would think about it is because I'd love Luca to have a sibling because yeah. um you know, he obviously doesn't only has one parent and so one side of the family, we're a fairly small family. I have one brother who has no kids either, so he doesn't even have first cousins. Yeah. Um, so I'd love him to have a sibling um, and I'd love to go through the pregnancy and birth experience again. Knowing what you know um, now. Knowing you know, what I know now and what I would do differently. Um but I don't think that's a reason to have, <laughs> have another kid. I really struggled the first year or the first couple of years really on my own with him. And so I can't imagine going through that um, with a toddler as well. <laughs> so let's talk um, about then, um, what it was like at the beginning. You're saying you struggled quite a bit for the first few years. How did you find going home from hospital, having Luca? And then, yeah, I guess the, the first few years, was it what you planned or what you thought it would be like? Yeah, and um, what I guess you'd do differently I, knowing what you know now. Yeah, I think the whole, um, like, the whole approach that I took, no research and not really being mentally prepared um, meant that I just 
felt so unprepared for what it was like to have a newborn. I think I thought about when I decided to have a child by myself, I thought about what it would be like to have a a grown child. (laughs) I don't think I really thought about what it would be like to have a newborn baby Um, other than the nice moments you see on Instagram of like, you know, holding a baby and whatever. Um, So, yeah, I just felt like, I mean, I'm sure every mum feels like this, but like my whole world had just been turned on its axis and I just couldn't... um, I felt like I was just couldn't get my head above water to breathe. Like I, he firstly didn't feed, didn't really sleep. <laughs> um, yeah, breastfeeding like I gave up after about five days because he just wouldn't feed. Um, yeah. And so that was really, that was something I had to accept, I guess, because I'd really wanted to breastfeed him. Um, Did you feel like there was a support network you could have gone to to help with that at the time? Um, so I saw the lactation consultants at the hospital who were older ladies, very old school, um, just kept telling me, oh, he's fine. He's feeding. He's going to learn by himself. And he, the times I could get him to attach, um, you know, he would seemingly feed for however long, um, but he was still just screaming all the time. (laughs) And when the midwives came to see me at home afterwards, after we came home, they were helping with it um, and got him to attach. And we, I fed him for about half an hour. So they'd weighed him before I started and after, and he was exactly the same. And she said, he's not getting any milk out of you even when right. he's attaching. So that was six days in. So I'm like, this poor kid, they're like, he must be starving. Like I'd actually started giving him a bit of formula at the hospital because it was so hard to get him to attach. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, as soon as I started giving formula, he completely settled and started sleeping. And so he was obviously just not getting anything. Um, That'd be so hard in those first few days when you're so sleep deprived as well. You just want to make him better and you don't understand at that point what's going on for him. Yeah. He's just hungry. Exactly. And I'd started, yeah, you don't know what's normal. Like, is this amount of crying normal? Like, you just don't know. Um, and I'd started pumping as well to at least be able to give him some breast milk through the bottle and I was getting nothing out. Um, and I think I was just so sleep deprived and so stressed from it. Like the milk started like, you know, had reduced and started getting engorged and like it was just so, yeah, I made that decision as soon as we got home. I was in hospital with him for five days because he got jaundice, I think because he was dehydrated for not eating yeah um so they wouldn't let us go home until that had cleared um so yeah by the time I got home he was nearly a week old and I went you know what I switched to formula and that calmed everything down so at least I could get more rest between feeds um and I I was more relaxed because I knew he was at least getting some nutrition (laughs) I know you say um, yeah, you wish so, you'd done more more research and things beforehand, but I think you can read everything in the world about breastfeeding, but until you try and do it, no book's going to tell you anything, is it? And it's all and that, everyone's yeah, experience is so hard and so unique and there's no, yeah, quick fix, just do this and it will one, work. Yeah, it's so true. That was one thing I did research because um, I knew I'd probably have problems. Um, yeah, because my nipples, why my nipples <laughs> So I knew that I would probably have issues. So I actually had researched that a little bit. Um, 
again, like I just didn't really have the funds to go to like private lactation specialists or anything. And I, at the time, just, um, I also had, yeah, my mum with me who um, was a big advocate of just, just get him fed. Like she was not pressuring me at all, which was good. Um, I also had a few midwives at hospital, um, yeah, who were quite aggressive, <laughs> one um, midwife in particular, yeah. who was really, um, yeah, they, they each, every time the shift changed, you know, a new midwife would come on and have a different approach to what the, how they were trying to teach me to do it. So that was really hard. I think that is what would be different in a private setting as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, and some of them, one of them had me in tears because she was being really aggressive with him. Like um, she was saying, he just needs to learn how to do it. You need to like shove his face in. And it was just, it was awful. Um, others were much more, you know, understanding and, yeah. yeah I sounds like the younger ones. Yeah. Sounds like definitely the best decision for your mental health and for Luca as well to thrive. So it would have been yeah, hard at the time, I imagine. Yeah, it took me a long time to kind of accept it and move on from the guilt of it, though, I think. Like, yeah. I said, really wanted to breastfeed him and I wanted him to have breast milk and I went went started going to my mum's group and everyone was breastfeeding and, you know, every time, like, it just keeps confronting you over and over again. But I knew deep down that I'd make the right decision um, for us at the time and in the moment and in the resources that I had. So, um yeah, so my mum stayed with us for the first week or so, I think like five or six days um, when we were at home and then I was on my own, had my first night with him when he was about two weeks old. Yeah. Um, and I was just so nervous. Um, but I remember I've actually got a photo that I recently looked at when it was his birthday. I was looking at old photos and I remember taking that photo and posting it and saying we just made it through our first night alone. <laughs> We're both still alive. Um, yeah, but I found it the first few months I found really hard because he yeah, did not sleep. I just found the sleep deprivation so difficult and not having anyone else to help out yeah. <laughs> with anything. Um and I, th- I found, like, all your friends and family and everyone comes to visit you the first few weeks and then they all go back to their normal lives and you're still here with, like, a three-week-old baby <laughs> um, and you don't see people for weeks, you know, and, and I think every hour is, feels like an eternity, you know, when you're going through that. So I would go and stay at my parents' house one night a week um, on a, like, Wednesday or Thursday or something. So... I would have like those couple of days with them and then I'd go home and feel this like weight of, oh, my God, I've got the next five days to get through by myself. Yeah. And I'd maybe like on the weekend see a friend or two. but um, And, you know, then I started having mother's group and things. But, yeah, it was it was tough. And I it's quite isolating when all of your friends, you, you're being a single person so a lot of your friends are single yeah. <laughs> and they're living their lives, they're all working full time and, no one's around during the day, you know, um, until you start to make some mum friends. So, um, yeah, I didn't really have any friends. A lot of my friends that had kids had had them a long time before, so they were all working um, and kids are at school and whatever. So that was quite hard and that, I think, compounded yeah. <laughs> on top of all the sleep deprivation and everything. So knowing what you know now, is there anything you think you'd do differently in, in those first sort of, I guess, six months? 
Um, I guess I advice that, for anyone else who's about to be in that situation. I think um, I would reach out to more people for help. Um, I think, yeah, like I said, I'd, I'd go to my parents for that one night a week and then I'd suffer through that five days on my own and mm. I'd so- sometimes, you know, arrange to see a friend or whatever. But so many people were saying, if you ever want babysitting, let me know if you want to, you know, whatever. And I never reached out to anyone <laughs> to say, can you come and just watch the baby for a for an hour <laughs> you know I never did that um I think so a lot of us who go on this journey are pretty strong and independent by ourselves and do find it quite hard to actually reach out and take people up on the offers don't we mm. yeah I was um yeah like I see a psychologist fairly regularly and she was saying to me she was drilling into me while I was pregnant and also after he was born that you can't like it takes a village to have a baby and it's okay to ask for help. And so I had that even with that in my ear all the time from her. I still, <laughs> still like, struggled to ask for help. And even from my parents, um, I, I remember one time when he was about eight weeks old, he just cried. I think the night before he'd actually almost slept through the night, but I had had insomnia and didn't sleep. So I had had about one hour sleep and that day he woke, he cried like the entire day and it got to about eight or nine o'clock at night and I rang my parents in tears and I said, I'm coming over, like I can't, I can't do this right now. So I literally drove like the half an hour to my parents' house. They opened the door of the car and took the baby. <laughs> and I, just went, I just went and slept for 12 hours straight, like didn't hear a thing, didn't hear him crying. Like So that part of that was a blessing, I guess, having him formula fed. I could do that yeah when needed but like I literally would let myself get to breaking point before mm. I would reach out so that's something I think I'd really do differently is and that's something I try to do now is proactively give myself time yeah to myself just so I don't get to that breaking point so now you've got a almost three older he is three now He's isn't he had three, three yeah. the other day yeah. So it must be quite different now that he can actually articulate what's going on and, you know, you know if he's so hungry different. or tired. Yeah. So how um, is life now? Oh, it's it's much easier. I mean, yeah, being able to have conversations with him, um, he's, you know, he's obviously still only a three-year-old. He's still very dependent on me but in a much different way. Um, I now feel like. I can do things while he's around. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to have me time to actually clean the house or anything. Um, yeah, it's. Still, I mean, it's still obviously very challenging, but it's yeah, much more different. I'm I'm starting to feel like I can actually go out on outings and enjoy them and have fun just together, me and him, or you know, with friends or whatever. And it's less work <laughs> than it than it has been. Um, I said to a friend the other day, a couple of weeks ago, we went to the beach, just me and him. We live quite near the beach. And I went to the beach and for the very first time ever, I actually felt like I could sit and enjoy being at the beach. Like I didn't have to worry about him running off because he's old enough now that he listens to what I, you know, I mean, not always, but, um, you know, he understands. He was helping me pack up and unpack everything and he would just sit and play in the sand and I could actually just sit enjoy being at the beach it's the first time ever so that's yeah that sounds nice because we are definitely not at that stage I've got the runner stage I don't trust her for anything so (laughs) 
Yeah, I know. And it's been like that. And I took him on our first trip away by ourselves uh, in between lockdowns last year. We went to Queensland for a few days and I remember thinking like, I just don't know if this is worth it because I just don't feel I'm just picking up my life and putting it in a different place. Like there's no downtime really when you're by yourself. Um, But that's what I feel has shifted that, yeah, I can, um, um, yeah, I can start to enjoy life again and start to think about myself a bit more and being me outside of being a mum because it's not as consuming. Um, And also enjoying him more as as a little person that he's becoming and his personality and he's starting to have conversations with me about random things and, um, I think I've always felt until now this pressure of like making sure I'm doing the right thing and he's getting the right foods and, you know, like just the pressure of getting things done rather than actually just sitting and connecting with him, which I, I mean, I, I do do that, but I think I have feel like I have more space now to, to focus on having more meaningful time with him. Um, like on a Monday, I don't work on Mondays, so that's our day and we always do something together and that's, you know, I feel like that's more meaningful now than I have been before just because we can communicate more. And <laughs> You're starting yeah. to get to that vision of what you are going to be as a solo mum when you had an actual yeah. child or a baby, yeah. I think so, yeah, yeah. So amazing journey, so lucky that you got pregnant with one IUI and although quite stressful at the beginning you've obviously learned a lot of great lessons along the way that I think anybody listening will be really grateful to have that perspective and they can hopefully learn some things from it so if nothing else they reach out earlier for help if they are struggling in those early days as well and don't be afraid to say please just come over for a cup of tea or something to give me that little bit of break yeah just reach out and connect to people I think I felt like you know because I have a lot of single friends like they wouldn't be interested you know but Everyone is, and everyone does want to help. <laughs> What's that novelty um, factor as well? They can come and do something, play with a baby, because they're not stuck with it all day long. And it's just like, let's have it for an hour. It's lovely. And it's like, yeah, yeah. quite different when it's twenty four seven. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would say is like, just try, try. One thing I regret, I think, is not enjoying it for what it was. Um, mm-hmm. I think I just wished the time away because I focused on how hard it was. Yeah, and to focus enough on the good parts and I have lots of photos <laughs> um but I know when I think back to that time a lot of what I remember is how hard it was and I just wish I'd sat in the moment a bit more and and appreciated it because it's so true everyone tells you like this time goes so fast and he'll be uh, you know grown up before you know it but when you're in it you know it's really hard to see that yeah. um I'm sure anyone who's in it right now is probably saying the same thing I did. It's like I just want him to be a bit older and not be so dependent on me. But um, it's really such a beautiful time to have such a newborn baby and that just sits and clings to you. (laughs) (laughs) Like I just wish I could have that time back and appreciate it more because it really was quite beautiful and goes before. It's gone before you know it. (laughs) Definitely is. So it's been really great chatting today. Just in parting, is there any advice that you would give anyone who's kind of on the fence about this journey and whether it's the right one for them in terms of how you made the decision, how it's ended up, anything that you wish someone had told you, I guess, when you were considering it, even though you thought about it for one second? (laughs) I think, um, yeah, I think do research and 
I, I wish I'd done more research, I think, just not so much academic research but just talking to more people about what it's like and um, I guess trying to mentally prepare yourself for what it might be like um, and how you might cope with things. I tr- did try to do a little bit of that but, like I said, I didn't really let my mind go there because yeah. I didn't want to get my hopes up in case it didn't work um, and I wish I had been more prepared so I think that's what I would yeah say to people is um try to have I guess try to imagine what it might be like or what you want it to look like I guess Mm -hmm. um and what you might need I mean I did do a little bit of this with my therapist at the time but like um yeah just have actually write down a list of people you might be able to call or resources you might be able to use. Um, I never actually did that. Like actually write down and have it on the, on the fridge because <laughs> when you're in the, in the hard parts of it, um, you can't really think straight. So um, That's a really great idea, having it on the fridge so you can, and you're struggling, you can see it and be like, I could call Susan or whoever it is. That's a great idea. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I don't know. For me, I still just agree with like going with your gut. I think you know deep down if it's right for you. And as much as I say, talk to other people and get opinions and, and advice. Um, I think you also know what's right for you and take bits and pieces of the advice that you get, but don't feel like you need to do it exactly the way other people have done because everyone's different. So. Um, that's what I end up doing that's where I've got to now I think I'm in a place where I hear what other mums are doing and I take the bits and pieces that feel right for me um so yeah but it is such it's such a it's such a different experience to what most mums that you talk to like not not a lot of mums are solo mums so Mm. I think definitely seek out um you know, like the SMC community, there's a huge community online. Um, seek that out and and make some connections because that's been life-saving for me, I think, um, being able to um, just know other mums that are in the same position as us because it's a unique position, um, being able to ask questions or vent or I, I was on there all the time when I was preparing, when I was pregnant, when I was trying, um, just asking heaps of questions and there's there's a reasonable amount of people in there who've been through it. So um, I definitely recommend connecting that way as well. That helped me a lot. I couldn't imagine having done it without knowing anyone else who had done it before. Yeah, it's I think so it's unique. a really generous community as well. Everyone just wants to help everyone else that's out that's on the journey. Yeah. so supportive that, you know, no one would judge you if you asked a stupid question and no. everyone just is happy to give their opinion but nobody cares if you listen to it or not but just wants to help so yeah it is an I've amazing any nastiness in there or anything that you know that you see sometimes in other groups mm-hmm. um it's it is you're right it's just generally genuinely like kind and because everyone's going through it's hard <laughs> it's hard and everyone's everyone knows that it's hard so everyone's there to support each other yeah. um yeah so that would definitely I would recommend that I don't think I could have made the decisions that I made without going on there and seeking out, <laughs> like even just researching other questions that other people had asked or asking my own. Yeah. 
And now we'll have this wonderful podcast so people can get lots of advice from what you've oh, just shared, amazing. which is so, so great. So thank you for oh, your time gosh. today um, and for sharing your story. And I can't wait to share it with um, everybody listening. Thank you so much. I'm Alicia, and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes, and leave a like, a review, or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.